Today on IFS Talks, we're so happy to be welcoming back Paul Neustadt for a talk on protectors. Paul Neustadt is an IFS co-lead trainer and AAMFT-approved supervisor. He has a private practice in Arlington, Massachusetts, where he specializes in couples therapy, parent coaching, and IFS consultation. For 17 years, he was the director of a community counseling and prevention program for children, adolescents, and families. He's taught couples and family therapy at a family therapy institute and in two graduate programs. As an IFS trainer, Paul creates a safe and accepting atmosphere, attending thoughtfully to group process, and making sure that all parts are welcome. He teaches the IFS model with a clear down-to-earth approach and open-hearted manner. Paul, thank you so much for being with us and speaking on this really interesting topic today. Well, thank you for um, that welcome, Tisha. Uh, I'm very happy to be back here with the two of you. Welcome back, Paul. We did two episodes together before. For the first one, in 2019, we focused on self-led parenting. And then in May 2020, we focused on the gifts of our exiles. Two beautiful and very helpful episodes, I would say. Now you want to focus on our protectors, young as they usually are, that you say may need explicit direct access for their gifts to be identified and celebrated. So, Paul, can we start off with some IFS basics? Could you share, please, your perspective on protectors? What are protectors and do we really need them? So, Annabelle, before I jump into that, mm -hmm. I need to share something. As I was preparing mm -hmm. for this, this podcast, I got in touch with a part of me who was having a concern about what I was going to be talking about, how I would be talking. This part had a concern about, I don't know, how I would be coming across, what I would be saying. Um, and initially, initially, it felt to me like an old, a part with an old burden. This is a part that um, was afraid, ever afraid that for me to ever take a stand on anything, ever commit myself to make, take any positions, that I that could be challenged. Okay, a very young part, and uh, it, where it came from is I had an older brother oh. who was very very smart okay. and used to argue a lot with my father, and um, could be very critical. And I was very in intimidated by this older brother, uh, so I was afraid, you know, to take strong stands because because I was afraid of my father, and I was afraid of my older brother. And I was afraid that I could be challenged and criticized and I, you know, I wouldn't be able to defend myself. Mm -hmm. So that was initially I thought, oh, okay, so here's this part who's coming up and afraid, like I'm going to say things that could be challenged. But then I said, wait a minute, let me listen to this. Let me see, maybe there's something more here. Maybe there's something valuable to me to listen to this part that has this concern. And as I listened more closely, I realized that actually this part this who uh, is a protector, this, this part was trying to protect me from something. I realized this part itself had a gift for me. And the gift that I got from listening to this part was um, that it's really worried about the power of words. 
the power of people making statements and the impossible impact that those statements could have on people, particularly when they come from like an authority figure. And, um, you know, when they come from teachers and how people try to fit themselves into someone else's teachings. And particularly when they don't feel like they really fit. So what people really need maybe is guidance to find what fits for them rather than to have to fit themselves into somebody else's teachings. How did this apply for you for this protector? I guess for me, that's that's been something I've needed to do in my life, right? I've needed to find my own way. And um and I guess that's what I want for other people. You know, I I so w- what I what I want to communicate is that I'm going to be sharing today what I my way, what I found has worked for me. And um and that's what I you know, I want people as they are listening, you know, to say, "Okay, well this is what worked for Paul." <laughs> you know, and it, maybe it won't work for you. You know, people need to find um you know, so I guess when I when I what I want for people is when someone teaches a framework to use that framework as guidance, but ultimately to find your own way within that guidance. Uh, so so I just want this was just an example of listening to a protector and listening deeply like, well, what's the gift here for me as I listen deeply to this part? Well illustrated. So coming back to your perspective, what is your perspective on protectors? Well, um, so Dick has has said that all of our parts um, are sacred beings. And um, I take that very seriously. Um, and in fact, I see I see myself as a spiritual being um, living in a human body. And um i feel like i have a soul who has been incarnated into this life into this human life um and my soul expresses itself through my parts through how i live my life through my parts all my parts so all of my parts have a role in how i live my life and i need all of them and um because of the nature of life parts take on have to take on certain roles and some of them be, are extreme roles right so so what we've learned in the IFS model which makes sense to me is that protectors um had to take on protective roles they 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 had to you know they've had to protect us from the dangers of life um and um so they they either had to help us survive um you know to help us just manage you know survive the dangers of life or or to manage our life um you know so protectors include firefighters or managers right so so they they you know they either had to like in a crisis like you know to jump in and and manage a, you know handle a crisis situation or manage our life ongoing, you know, on a daily basis. But, you know, they they help us, they protect us from from dangers, from bad things happening, or they 
um, you know, and they manage us so that we can survive and live our lives. So absolutely, we could not live without without these parts of ourselves. Beautiful. So we really need them. Yeah. And, you know, so um, we tend to become more aware of them um, when they're triggered. Um, and if they're not triggered, then maybe we're not, you know, we're not so aware of them. When they are unburdened from their, their more extreme roles and, you know, protectors, just like exiles, have um, a more natural um, role to play. And just like we want to liberate exiles from their burdens, we really want to liberate protectors from their burdens, burden of the extreme role that they're playing and whatever other burden they're carrying and, you know, help them return to their true nature and, um, However, however, you know, whether they want to continue to play a role um, or not, and they can just be kind of integrated into the harmony of our being. And, um, and so we might, you know, when that happens, we might not be that aware of them anymore because they're just kind of naturally playing their role. Well, you say direct access is an underappreciated and an underutilized way of working in IFS. You also say so many IFS therapists feel like they are failing when they can't get their clients to unblend and don't realize they have such a wonderful way to work with these clients available to them. So what is this direct assess and in particular explicit direct assess on your perspective? Well, I, I you know, I think most people come out of Uh, level one without um, much understanding of direct access and how to really how to do it. And that makes sense because, uh, um, you know, our, our main focus is really on insight and learning how to guide clients to go inside. And, um, and that takes a lot of time to learn, to learn that way of working. But um, direct access, I think, is an essential skill. We just come out of level one and we don't really know how to do it. Um, and inevitably, then people come out and they think the way that we do IFS is going inside. Um, so I teach a, a, a seminar uh, for people who graduate from level one. And I also do, do lead consultation groups. So, um, you know, a lot of people who come out of level one. Um, feel like they are not doing IFS and feel like they're, you know, not being a good IFS therapist if they're not getting people to go inside. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they don't realize that um, there are clients who really need to be using direct access for periods of time and that that's a wonderful tool and they're still doing IFS if they're doing direct access. Okay, so this difficulty or underappreciation comes out of this overvaluing of insight, as as I'm I'm hearing you. Well, I don't think it's overvaluing of insight. I think it's just uh, not not appreciating that there's this other way of working that is also valuable and important. Okay, 
Makes sense. And also maybe we are not enough trained using this tool, the direct assess. Yeah, so I think if people take the deepening and expanding level two, there's more about direct access. Even there, I, I still don't think they get enough. So I've, I, I've taught a, a two-day workshop for two full days on direct access. I also did um, a seminar on direct access, which was um, a four monthly uh, meetings, you know, three hours each. Beautiful. Uh, on direct access. So, I, I mean, I think it needs a lot of time because it, I think it's, it's, a, it's very challenging. Yeah. Um, and so I think it needs time to, to, for people to uh, really practice it and uh, develop the, the skill. Just like, you know, I mean, we, we, we give lots of time for, for the insight and the protocol. We, we need to also give a lot of time for direct access. Yeah. Yes. Paul, can you describe for our listeners what the difference is, what direct access is for people who might not know? Sure. So direct access is when the therapist is talking directly to the client's parts rather than guiding the client from self to talk to their own parts. And there are two, two kinds of direct access. So implicit direct access is when I, as the therapist, I'm talking to my client, my client's parts, but I'm not naming that. I don't name that part. I, I just I just maintain that awareness. Oh, my client, you know, to myself. Oh, my client seems to be an an angry part of them. And then I might notice, oh, they've shifted. That angry part seems to have calmed down. Now it seems they've shifted into a, a part who seems more guilty. I'm noticing some guilt coming up. It sounds like there's a guilty part that's just taken them over. So I'm noticing shifts. And now I'm, and I realize, okay, now I'm talking to a different part of them. Um, with explicit direct access, um, I name to the client, oh, uh, it sounds like you're blended with this part that, you know, this, this part, particular part of you. How about if we just let that part be blended and, I, and ask it to just talk directly to me? Um, so we, it's an agreement that, that, I make with that client with the client um, to just let that happen and have a conversation directly with me, um, and and so it's it's a that makes it explicit that that the client and I know and agree that this is what's happening. Beautiful. And Paul, direct assess can be helpful with any parts in our system, right? So yes, be it an exile, a manager, or a firefighter. Would you recommend any adaptation of this technique as you work with different parts? Does different parts really require different direct assess approaches? Yeah, great question, Annabelle. Yeah, so if I'm working, if I want to do direct access, let's say with a firefighter, firefighters are often polarized with managers. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes in order to do direct access with a firefighter, I, I probably need to get permission from a, a protector. And there is a technique. And unfortunately, I don't remember who I learned this from. I wish I could give credit mm -hmm. to the um, 
to the trainer who I learned this approach from, but I just don't remember. Mm -hmm. You use three chairs. You know, the you have the client in three different chairs. Oh, well. So there's a chair that they're, they're sitting in, and then there's a chair on either side of them. And um, so you have the polarized parts sitting, you know, so you what you do is you um, take turns doing direct access with the two different polarized parts. So you might have them sh switch to uh, um, the chair on their right to be, let's say, the manager. Mm -hmm. And then switch to the chair on the left to be the the firefighter, mm -hmm. and you take turns doing um, explicit direct access with the manager and the firefighter. Beautiful. You're so you're it's you know you're doing a polarization direct access. Amazing. See yeah, how that would be so valuable because you're as the therapist bringing your self energy, your curiosity, your compassion to these parts that get really locked in place. Yes, yeah, and so and you so you might do that when the client doesn't have enough self energy to do that work themselves, and so you start that that process for them um, by talking with those two. Um, parts that are, you know, that are so polarized and, uh, and then you bring the client's self in as part of the process. So I might start by, I might start by, you know, let's say I start with the manager and I do some explicit direct access with the manager and then I bring in the client's self and see, you know, is the client's self able to then um, respond to the manager? Um, and then I'll, then I'll say, okay, now can we, now can we talk with the firefighter part? So then we'll bring the firefighter part in. I'll talk to the firefighter part that I'll come back to the client self ask, okay, now can, can the client, can you respond to the firefighter? Uh, and then we'll see, can the, can we bring both firefighter and manager back together? See, you know, can, can we have a, a three-way conversation? Beautiful. And if it's, um, an exile, if you do direct access to an exile, such a different approach, right? So if an exile has gotten blended, I, I want to just start talking to the exile. And so it depends. Sometimes, sometimes I just like, I'm just going to start talking to the client. Sometimes I'll say, okay, okay. so this is a very young part of you. I'm just going to start talking to this young part of you. Um, and my okay. goal in that case because my at that point my my assumption is that that young part is back in the past um so i'm talking to a young part who who is his is in some situation in the past they're not that that, that they're not in the present moment they're they're in the they've been suddenly transported back into the past and so my goal at that point is to help them overcome the sense that they're alone in the past. They're all by themselves. In some, you know, horrible situation, they, they're all alone. And so my goal that then is to help them feel that I'm there with them. And so to help them feel my presence yeah. with them. To help them feel seen and understood and... You know, you're not alone there. I'm I'm here. I'm here right here with you. And I understand, you know, so like feel me with you. 
you know, you know, let me know what's what are you experiencing? What's going on? So I'm right. I want them to feel me, you know, right there, connecting with them, understanding what they're experiencing. So once the, once I have that connection with them, once they feel felt by me, understood by me, yeah. you know, then I will say, um, you know, so I, I I'm I'm feeling like okay, they're calming down a little bit. Yes, they're calming down because there's somebody there with them. Then I'll say, would you like to have this connection with? So say I'm talking to you, Anabal. I'll say. Would you like to have this connection with Anabal as well? Yeah. So you bring the client self as well. Yeah. Because I can't always be with you, but Anabal could. Would you like to be able to have the same kind of connection with Anabal? Um, can we make space for Anabal to be here? Anabal, this, you know, we can have your grown up self here with you as well. So can we do that? Can we bring Anibal here? Can we make space for him to be here with you? Yeah. Would you like that? And then so I'll try to, you know, then bring bring you back to be be with this, you know, little little exile of yours. Coming back to the gifts of protectors, coming back to the protectors, let's say, you say you have been helping clients identify the gifts of the protectors on the road to identifying the gifts of their exiles. And finding that this is a powerful way to connect with the protectors and help them transform into allies. So what, what are those gifts of the protectors and how do you help clients identify those gifts? Yeah, so I want to give you a few examples um, first. Um, so I guess I want to give you an example, another, you know, I shared one example, and I want to tell you another one. Thank you. So one of my exiles was a really young part who, who became really frozen in response to my father's unpredictable rages, really scary, frightening rages. And I had a, a really hard time accessing this part of me. He was so frozen. It was really hard to access, access him. But, you know, I, with a lot of patience, I was finally, I was finally getting some connection. Um, but then, But then um, something happened. One of the things that I was doing in trainings was uh, we, we would do a demo for in the training where uh, with my uh, the co-lead trainer, um, we would do it. We wanted to show people the um, the whole unburdening process. So one of us would be a client and, uh, you know, one of us would be the therapist. Mm -hmm. And um, my co-lead and I were were having an issue at that point. It was just not a good time for me to be the client at that point because we were in the middle of of, of an issue okay. between it yeah, between us. Happens, yes. And um, I also usually when we would do that, I would pick an exile who I had already unburdened. So 
so the exile had already been unburdened and so i could i could ask the exile you know since you've already been been unburdened would this be okay to roll you know go through it again yeah but this exile had not yet been fully unburdened okay but it was it was like very i was it was kind of very up for me yeah this exile so i thought some part of me thought well, because the exile is very alive in this moment, maybe this would be a good time to do it. Okay. In this, in this, in this training. So I went ahead and did this demo, um, and it didn't go well. In what way? Well, I I felt like the person being with my therapist wasn't doing a good job of being attuned. Okay what was happening with this exile and i think i think it was because we were not in a good place with each other yeah. makes sense and so so it didn't work well because that person and i were not in a good place there was not enough self yeah interfered with with the, the you know the attunement yeah so it was really bad judgment on my part Anyway, so later when I went back to reconnect with this exile, I met up with a protector who was furious with me. Okay. Uh, protector would not let me near this frozen part. The protector said to me, you know, you betrayed this, this young frozen part. You should never have done this. Well, of course, this 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 protector was right. Yeah. Right? Yes. It was right. It was it was a totally stupid thing for me to do. It was poor judgment. And so this protector um was confronting me on my poor judgment. And um it told me that um I would have to repair this rupture. Um, and the way I would have to um, reconnect, I would like every day. I'd have to like every day sit with try, sit with the protector and the exile consistently for a long period of time. I'd have to show up every day for a long period of time to to prove that I was trustworthy, and in order to repair this. So consistency had been a problem for me, like really showing up every day consistently for myself. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. So this protector was doing two things. One was forcing me to, to identify the part of me that had had such bad judgment, the part of me that was willing to betray myself. So I had to identify that part and work with it. And then secondly, it was pushing me to to be consistent when that had been an, an issue for me there's the wisdom mm, yeah so wow you know two amazing things that this protector got me to do that were so important in my system so protectors are not always wrong right this was a very helpful protector yes i am so grateful for that protector because it confronted me in a very helpful way. Beautiful. I ended up I ended up <laughs> calling that protector my clear seeing truth teller. Say it again, please. 
clear seeing. It, it saw it saw things very clearly. Yeah. And it told me the truth. Beautiful. Yeah. It was telling me the truth about myself. That's the gift. And saw things clearly and got me to do work that I needed to do. Make got me to repair, you know, a, a rupture. And I was able to reconnect with that young exile. So here we are when protectors are right. Love that too, because like the like consistency in relationship really is essential to build trust. And it was asking yeah. you for that. Yeah. Well, you also say then you recruit them, the protectors, to form an inner healing circle. What is this healing circle and how do we get there? So that's a great question. Can I give you two more examples of gifts of protectors and then I'll get to and then I want to talk about the healing circle. Oh, wonderful. So I had a client who had a part that um when he was working with a client would uh be very critical of of him and tell him he was full of you're bullshitting. You're not, you know, like it was a part who was really critical of him. And it was critical of the client, critical of him. The client's bullshitting you. You're bullshitting the client. It was it was just a it was a really critical part. And um, he felt really bad. You know, his initial reaction was to feel bad about himself, like I'm such a bad therapist. Um, it was just taking to heart what this inner critic part was because it was you know. Just telling, you know, you're, you're you're just bullshitting every, you know. So I I encouraged him to really listen to this part and take it seriously. What does this part mean when it when it says, you know, you're bullshitting? And when he listened more clearly, what he got was that the part was telling him, you're abandoning yourself. You're not being true to yourself. And he said. Well, it's true. I am abandoning myself. I'm not being true to myself. So much wisdom on our protectors, right? So another example, if if you know, if you if you go deeper, if you listen more deeply sometimes to what a protector is saying, what's what's at the heart of this? Let me listen, go, let me go deeper. What's at the root of what what this protector is saying here? Sometimes there there's some wisdom there. There's there's something important there, and so you know there was a truth. There was a truth there, and what this protector was saying that was really important for this for this person for this client. Another another client. And these are both therapists who are coming to me for consultation. Okay, so th this is someone who had a part who was judging her um, pretty harshly. Um, and then when she listened to this part really deeply again, um, again, this part was, she, what she found out was this, this part was letting her know what her learning edge was, what she had to be working on, um, both with a client and in her own life. And um, she said she felt like the part was seeing her really accurately. So anyway, back to your question about um, healing circle. The healing circle. So 
In my mind, a healing circle is a group in which the members share an intention to support the healing of the members. Okay. By directing loving healing energies towards that purpose, towards the healing of, of the members. And often they take turns having one member be the focus. Okay, amazing. That healing energy. Paul, when you when you say healing energy, you say somehow you could say the self in those parts. Yes. So so um from an IFS perspective, we could say self-energy. So over 20 years ago, 23 years ago, when my sister was dying of cancer, um, she was part of a Sufi healing center, a healing circle. Yeah. So I accompanied her one day to this healing circle, and I sat in the middle of the healing circle with her. Mm, beautiful. It was palpable. You could feel the energy of the of the healing. You could feel the healing energy being directed. They were directing it towards me as well. So amazing. Mm. And it was palpable that you you know you could feel it. You could feel the energy that people were directing towards us. Um, so here you are using all the self present in the system for healing purpose. Um, you know, in level one trainings, you know, when people do a demo, mm -hmm. we encourage people to send self-energy to the to the client or the client and the therapist, you know, in the middle. You know, you could say that's a healing circle. Oh, yeah. Because, because our intention is to surround the everyone in that, you know, who's doing that demo with Self-energy. It feels like it. The demos are so profound in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So protectors can be present as well. Yes. So I, I remember being in the middle of one of those demos. And yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful feeling to be, to be in that, the middle of that energy. I take seriously that protectors um, also have self-energy and they can access self-energy. And so my goal is to not just invite them to move to the side, not just to say, can you get out of our way, but to recruit them to become an inner healing circle so that they're Using their energy, they're accessing self-energy, their self-energy, and adding to the self-energy in, internally to, to support the exile and support, you know, uh, healing the exile. Paul, do you think it's possible that spending time with protectors that they can start healing before you get into the exile's work? 
Yeah, I, I believe that the the protectors begin to transform. So that's 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 yeah. I think that's healing. That's already healing. Yeah. I wonder if if we could, um, you know, one of the best ways to learn this is is to illustrate it. And um, so I wonder if we could take a little time to do that. Yeah, let's do let's do a little bit of a demo. I know we talked about that beforehand and I'm happy to volunteer. Okay, so Tisha, do you have um a protective part of you that in mind? Yeah, I do. It's um it's a critic similar to the one you described with um with your therapist that you're doing consultation with. I I have a critic that I've been curious about slash annoyed with lately. Um, Sounds, yeah. So that, that's the one that, that's the one that I'm, you know, kind of bringing to this. Okay, great. So would you be okay with that part talking directly with me? Yeah, there's, I, I think there's some parts that are concerned about that. Um, this critic can be quite mean and, um, I think there's there's some parts. It feels like there's parts that are worried that um, people will think that I'm as mean as this critic mm. is. So, what do those parts need around around doing this demo around that concern? Uh, well, those parts sort of <laughs> they almost want a governor on the critic. But then another part's like, um, that wouldn't be very authentic if I limited the critic's ability to say and do what it does. Um, I guess uh, I guess it's it feels okay to speak for the parts that are worried. And yeah, we can see how it goes. Okay. Well, I understand. I just want to say I want to acknowledge the parts that have that concern. That um, yeah, it makes sense to me. They would be worried about what will you know people hear hear a mean part of me. Will people judge me for that meanness? Yeah, I can understand that concern. Yeah the 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 critic internally is. Um, and this is another part talking, but it says things to me that I would never say. Mm. And that brings yeah. sadness as I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what I want to say to you, Tisha, is um, I'm imagining listeners who have mean mean critics who might be listening and be relieved to know that you're not the only ones with a mean critic. Yeah, no, it's true. It it does feel like a universal part, really. I know, I know I've seen seen so many critics and clients, but there are parts that always feel like, you know, uh, mine's the worst or yeah. mine's the most yeah. extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else they need in order to be okay with doing this? 
Um, I guess just to say that it might be vulnerable and, and I have other parts that, that have, uh, some feelings, like if I were to cry or to be sad, um, I have some other parts that feel like that's failing. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there, there's some parts up, but also a really will willingness and curiosity to, to have you do some direct access. It could be vulnerable. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so if, if, um, if parts start to get concerned, I'm open to, you know, anything that they're needing. They need to, to let us know at some point. Right. Yeah. So we can pace it and. Yes, yeah, they can interrupt if they need to. Perfect. Okay. So just check and see now if, if, they, if they're okay to go ahead. Yeah, it feels all right. As I'm preparing to get in touch with the critic and let it speak, the part that's concerned is like, okay, I warned you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. So, um, so uh, the part that uh, Tisha is calling the critic, are you there? Are you willing to speak with me? Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And and um, are you? Would you like to talk to me? Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm open to yeah. that. Well, I would uh, really like to get to know you, um, and I'd like to know anything that you would like me to hear, and and maybe things that uh, I, I'm wondering, maybe things that would be good for Tisha to hear out loud about you mm. and you and how you're trying to help her. Yeah, I want I want you to know that I kind of take over her mm. body. And really try to heighten its uh sensation and intensity. I give her a bit of a you know like a nervous edge. Um So that she can pay attention. Uh -huh. Okay. So you're trying to get her to really pay attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I sure am. Okay. Yeah. So can you say I, more about that? How come that's so important that you're trying to get her to pay attention? Um, I'm trying to heighten the details within the movements of her body. and. Um, kind of what she does mostly physically so that she'll um so that she won't screw up uh-huh yeah okay so but she she screws up anyway especially when i'm when i'm present she she actually uh she she doesn't do what i want okay. her to do so in spite of your efforts she screws up and were you about to, it sounds like you were almost saying like, as hard as I try, it sounds like she screws up even more when I'm, the more I, the harder I try, the more she screws up almost. 
Yeah, no, it's, you got it. It's true. Yeah. I'm here to help her be acute and to achieve perfection. And she just fails and flops and uh, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's kind of a flop. Wow. Wow. And what made you decide you had to work with her body? You know, like get her to be so like this nervous energy and detail. Like what made you decide you had to do that, do it that way? Um, that that's really where I come on board when she's trying to do physical things like dance or climb. And she's always, you know, pushing the envelope of these new physical tasks and um she's trying really hard so i come in and assert that she does well and does better but she's she's constantly uh not good at the things she's uh-huh. trying okay so what is it that you really want for her what do you most want for her Uh, I want her to, I was going to say be the best, but that doesn't feel right. But uh, I want her to not suck. Mm. Yeah. And and what are you concerned happens when she sucks? Um, Well, she'll she'll be judged and and maybe it'll feel like she'll get in trouble mm. yeah excluded she'll be yeah. kicked out yeah how long have you had this job for her mm. feels like late elementary school mm. yeah yeah so was there was there a part of her was was she getting excluded and kicked out and judged in late elementary um, school? Yeah, I can remember a scene where that was Yeah, where I kind of came in and took over her body to make her more articulate. Mm. Or I tried to protect her. I try to push her and motivate her. Yeah. 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 So you, wow. So you've had this job ever since then, working really hard to try to push her and motivate her. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I'm not... I I don't really appreciate her actually. You don't appreciate her. No. Say more. Yeah. Um she's uh she just works against me, works against herself. Is um, there a particular part of her that you're you're concerned about that works against you and herself? Yeah, it's the 
part that gives up. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. There's a part of her who gives up. Yeah. Tell me about that part of her who gives up. Well, yes. Uh, sometimes when she's trying to, I don't know, climb a a rock wall, or um, you know, she just reaches a a point where, or she's she's dancing in front of someone. Um, this part comes in and is like, just forget it. It's not mm. worth it. Don't try. Mm. And then what do you do when, when that part comes in? Um, I usually try to take over her body. Um, try to, to give her some heightened intensity. I try to kind of shame her and to keep, keeping on going. How does that work? Mm, not great. Usually the giving up wins. And uh, yeah, she's sort of known for uh, not completing mm. things. Not, not following through. But if it were up to me, she would push and push through yeah yeah so i'm i'm wondering um how would it be if we could help tisha work with that part of her the part who gives up would you like it to if tisha could work with that part of her oh yeah yeah definitely especially if it would just stop giving up well i don't know if we could you know I don't know what would happen, but but it sounds like a different part of her that we might be able to. So one of the things I'm I'm appreciating is you've maybe helped her already identify a different part. That would that might be yeah. helpful for her to be aware of that other part. So I'm just appreciating you for that. And it sounds like do you feel like Tisha appreciates you at all? It feels like in this moment, Paul, of talking to you, there's a little bit of appreciation, understanding, and space that I'm getting, but in general, no. So what would I'm you, yeah, so I'm guessing you have some gifts for her. And I'm wondering, what would you, what do you, what would you feel are your gifts for, for Tisha? I really bring her into her mm. body. Yeah. And... And it's a little bit of a mental mind body where, you know, there, there's my, my voice is critiquing the body, but I do drop her in and make her aware of 
her feet and her fingers and um and another gift that i have is that i really don't want her to get in trouble or fail and yeah i try i i really try to keep her aware of all the things that could make her feel those feelings. Mm. So it sounds like you also have a sensitivity to the pain of failing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you jumped in when she was going through such a hard time. That's when you took on your job. So I'm feeling like you have this sensitivity to those feelings. That feels true. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what it might be like if you were able to help her be strong enough to bear those feelings, because those are parts of that's part of life. It's part of life to have feelings like that. And you have a lot of energy and strength. I'm just aware of all how strong you are. You push all that pushing and, you know, energy you have. What if you could use all that energy and strength to help her bear some of those feelings? To be strong enough to bear them now that she's grown up. So she wouldn't have to give up, right? Because you have the strength. You have all the strength. What if that's one of your gifts? Yeah, it feels hopeful. It does feel hopeful. Yeah. And the part of you that you're you're reacting to this this you know this part of her that suffered in elementary school how would it be if we could go back and rescue that part that did feel so terrible how would you like that yeah it feels like she needs it it also it also feels a little scary would you like to help with that yeah if i can well you could yeah absolutely you could help by being part of a healing, an inner healing circle. You could bring your energy to, to help be part of an inner healing circle. And we could bring Tisha and me and, and you, and we could go back and rescue that young Tisha from that time and bring her into the present. Would you like to help us with that? Mm. Yeah, as you're saying all of that, like this scene of younger me is expanding in my mind. Great. So how would it be if we could bring grown-up Tisha back 
and see if maybe she could appreciate you more for what you've been doing. Would you like to have a better relationship with her? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's a, they're really tiring for me to rip on her all the time. Yeah. And I have to, yeah, come up with all these new ways. And it's a lot of energy to take yeah. over her body. Is there something you would rather be doing if you didn't have to rip on her? Yeah, I I would rather, like you said, give her her strength to just be more of herself whether she's climbing or dancing or napping just to allow her to just be where she is mm. with all of it okay so let's bring her back stay close and and we'll, I'll just invite her to come back okay Tisha are you there <laughs> yeah i'm here so I'm wondering, yeah. how do you feel towards having listened to this part of you? I I have a really deep appreciation for how young it was and has been. Like just the um I feel like I um have still a little bit of trepidation with it because we have a long history together but it does feel that there's a little more openness more openness in my heart towards it and tenderness um there was a point in time where i realized that you were talking to it like you would talk to a child um you know just with with like kind of you got on the parts level and just awareness of that um, really gave me enough space to think like, well, this, this critic is working really hard and it's, it's just, it's got the tools of like a 12 year old who was really criticized herself. Um, yeah, so that was that was really cool, Paul. Thank you. So you know, we might, if, if this was you know real a real life thing, I would keep working with you with this part. But um, does that feel like an okay place to? Yeah, absolutely. And I can see the exile is clear yeah. today. You want to just take a moment with take. with with this critic and and just see if there's anything else that that it, you need to say say to it and it, it needs to say to you. Mm. I just want to let it know that I'm here with it. And it's it just responded to me. I don't want to hurt mm. you. So Tisha, it did say to you, you have this part that gives up. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the critic would br brings me into the red, and then the, the other part's just like, oh, 
done. Yeah. So it's almost like there's a yeah. maybe a polar, I don't know, of a polarization or there's some relationship between the two. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. So anything else you want to say about about that demo? Yeah, um, I appreciate the time and space. You never know what's going to come up, and um, that's always so helpful. Yeah, I think I have parts that are worried if, if it was a good enough example of direct access, or if, I don't know, you know, there's other critics. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was you know, that was yeah, Annabelle. I thought it was great. Annabelle, how about you? What was it like for you to witness? It was so moving to see Tisha's courage to address those strong and talented parts. And such a beautiful illustration, I think it was. So I'm mostly grateful to both of you and moved with Tisha. So beautiful. Yeah. It was really nice to be the recipient of your uh, direct access work, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I enjoyed doing it, and it just felt like, you know, maybe the best way for, to get across to people. You have a really, really good way of, uh, of being with these parts. Thank you. I'm aware of a part of me who um, really wants me to convey a couple things to people. Um, one is that explicit direct access can actually be sometimes the most skillful way to facilitate the unblending of a protective part of us. And I believe the reason for that is that it really communicates tremendous respect and appreciation for the protector. It helps a protective part of us really feel seen and heard and appreciated. And to the point that the protective, this protective part um, is willing to unblend because, because it's had its say and it really feels appreciated. Um, and the other thing is that it accomplishes uh, a few some other things. Um, it enables the client to be in a witnessing position, and the client is witnessing the therapist self mm -hmm. seeing the protector through the the, the therapist's eyes of self. Mm -hmm. So it changes the, the client's perspective on the protector. It enables the client to access self in relation to the protector. Amazing. Yeah, makes sense. And um, so it, it enables the client to then begin to have more of a relationship with that protector. Um, so I think it, it enables there to be a deeper relationship between the client self and the protector.
And if you go further and then you identify the gift of the protector, then it enables there to actually be a transformation of that protector. The protector actually begins to shift its own perception of itself Mm -hmm. and access its own self-energy. And it opens up for the protector the possibility of uh, shifting its perception of the exile. Okay. Once, once it's once it changes its perception of itself, my my experience is it's it begins to soften its attitude towards the exile. Towards well. the exile. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So the second thing that I wanted to say is that there are some parts of us that really prefer to be able to speak for themselves out loud. Out loud. Yes. Have have their own voice. And um, so what I guess I wanted to say is that in my own therapy, um, a lot of times I prefer to work with my parts through through explicit direct access. Okay. And um, I just wanted to say that, you know, that if, if, if there are people out there who find that um, sometimes they would rather work with their parts um, by having their parts talk, uh, directly to their therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a legitimate way for us to work with our parts, sometimes, and allow them to express. Yes, express yeah. themselves out loud directly, because some of our parts really want that and need that to to talk out loud. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So, Paul, thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha, and hopefully we will meet again soon and we'll share more of our work and our lives. Maybe next time, Paul, you will talk on the relationship of soul and self and being very human, you say, maybe. Yeah, that would be great. I do want to just um, let people know I will be doing a a workshop on the gifts of our exiles. Um, and in that workshop, I, I do also talk about this, you know, the work we did today as part of that. Um, I do that, I'm going to be doing that with um, Derek Scott um, in Canada. Um, so it, that's that'd be not, so good. Yeah, that's not until um, February, but just, you know, uh, just to give a heads up for that. Is that in person? No, that's that'll be on Zoom. Oh, good. So people could sign up for it anywhere in the world. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.